The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. From Atlantic City, New Jersey, weighing 458 pounds, King Kong Bundy! Six foot six, 455 pounds, the biggest man in professional wrestling, King Kong Bundy. From down south in Atlantic City, beautiful, beautiful city, by the way. Just a second here, you fill up the screen pretty well. I can fill up two screens. Go ahead, introduce me. <laughs> Mr. Bundy, how are you? To demand a five count, Gene, when Bundy puts you down and the referee counts to five, then there's no doubt in anybody's mind you've been beat. You're not talking about a man 300 pounds. You're not talking about a man 350 pounds. You're talking about 458 pounds. And I'm going to shut up when I'm talking to you, little runt.
Friday, March 8th, 2019, and you are tuned in to Season 3, Episode 10 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hameen Media. in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking some New Japan, WoW, NXT, and of course, your WWE Fastlane preview. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news of his news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at HTMPWPod, Facebook Hitting the Marks, Twitch Hitting the Marks, and email us at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo. I will be your host for the day. But give it up for my tag team partner, the man, the myth, the legend, the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that order, the beat of me. Rick Vickery back again, the Hitting Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast. Jargo, I know since you've, you've written this run, we've had breaking news left and right. Uh, I think we're, we're almost going to have to call this thing on the fly. But I, you know, I think most important, we should probably talk about the, at the top of the show here. You know, the, this week in entertainment across the industry, uh, some some devastating losses. Yeah, obviously we had uh, King Kong Bundy. You heard the tribute package there off the top. Uh, Keith Flint of The Prodigy, which I, I was a big fan of The Prodigy. I don't know about yourself, but I know uh, myself and Mr. Eric Lake, a good friend of ours. We had a, a nice conversation about Prodigy the other day. And uh, then Luke Perry, of course, uh, Dylan from Beverly Hills 90210 is how our generation knows him. But now there's a whole new generation that knows Luke Perry as Archie's dad on the hit show Riverdale on NBC. Some pretty big blows to the entertainment community over the last couple of days. Um, obviously, the one that I think we need to focus on is King Kong Bundy. Well, you guys can say, I, I don't know, you're, you're right. I don't know so much about the gentleman from Prodigy. I know he had a, a great deal of influence uh, or, you know, on yourself, you know, throughout your musical career, you, you know, I recall you were, I think might have been you and Eric having the conversation that you you drew a lot from him. A, a lot of the influence in his style is what you used uh, when you took to the stage, uh, of course, in, in Dylan. I mean, it's an American heartthrob, you know, in the, in the 90s. Were you in the 90210? You know, I, I wasn't necessarily into 90210 in real time. Um, but of course in syndication, once it hit like FX and stuff like that, I think I've seen every episode of 90210. Um, it was just, you know, our kind of our age bracket watching 90210 wasn't necessarily the cool thing to do, but God damn, it was a really good show, man. Like when, when you really sit down and watch that show, it really encompassed what being a high school student in the late nineties was like. I was say, you know, I really wasn't into it, but, but I can tell you, I, I, you know, cause we were, you know, that's about when we were like junior high, high school and the girls be going crazy over the guys from 90210, but Hey, you know, and he is a, a tremendous professional wrestling fan himself. And you were talking about, you know, he's Archie's dad on, you know, the, the Riverdale sitcom and all that. Hey, he's jungle boys, dad from AEW. You know, so he's, he's got ties here. I guess it was. You know, it's kind of sad that, you know, he's not going to be able to see his son go to that stage uh, of AEW and all the hype that's going to be around there. Uh, but, of course, you are right. You know, the big name that stands up to us is one King Kong Bundy. Going back to when we 
when we fell in love with professional wrestling, you know, King Kong Bundy was one of those true larger than life figures. I, you know, I always talk about it here. We, we don't have those today. Those individuals where you kind of, you look up to it and you're just in awe of the stardom, the, the magnitude of the being. And King Kong Bundy was one of those standouts and staples really in that first great boom of giants, uh, especially in the WWF at the time. A legitimate super heavyweight. Um, standing toe-to-toe with Andre the Giant during Andre's prime. I mean, that that pretty much uh, explains everything that you need to know right there, his affiliation with the Heenan family. Uh, of course, I was a huge Bobby Heenan fan, so anybody that was a member of the Heenan family, I was absolutely all in on. Um, it's unfortunate because I remember King Kong Bundy, and I remember the larger-than-life personality that was, but unfortunately, most of my memories of King Kong Bundy, because I was so young during that initial run when he was going toe-to-toe with Hogan at WrestleMania 2, I was so young, I don't necessarily remember that era of King Kong Bundy. I remember him later in his career when he wasn't being used to his full potential. Uh, I thought Strangler Steve King did a great tribute to King Kong Bundy on the Wednesday locker room, a man who actually rode in the car with King Kong Bundy. That was a fantastic take listening to that. Yeah, very touching. You know, and Steve got, you know, firsthand uh, to see what kind of pro he was and had, you know, even just for a moment that that bond, that connection, you could tell it, you know, all these years later, still what it means to, to the strangler. Yeah, and I, I do remember you know, when he was in that first run. You know, I, I, that was one of the first events that I saw was WrestleMania 2. Uh, and it was shortly, I didn't see it live, but that was like the first tape, you know, the first tape that I ran it. So I got to see the big man in the cage, how amazing he was. I, I think what I really remember from his early age, from, you know, his early run is, is some of the matches that he had where he would be teaming up with a couple of the midgets and six-man against Hillbilly Jim. I could have swore, you know, for the longest time, I knew, you know, the Lord was out there that he had killed one of those guys when he hit him with the big elbow. And I believe that for most of my life, because <laughs> I mean, it was devastating. Wait, you mean that's not true? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. I, I think it was one of those things when, uh, when, when my parents had to come clean because I was just out of control over something with the ultimate warrior. Oh, it was when I thought he was going to retire at WrestleMania seven. That's when they actually had to, you know, they had the break to news to me after the day Kayfabe died for me. Uh, but yeah, even beyond that, I thought that King Kong had killed this guy. That's what I remember. And then obviously he steps away from professional wrestling to go into the world of, you know, television and film and all that. It, great memories there. Oh, married with children. You know, the, the two spots there when he was part of the Wenker clan or when he took on the Bumblebee. Do you think that's why he was handled the way that he was that that second section of his career because i mean we've kind of seen this with vince and the rock where the wwe kind of shuns the rock rather than embracing him and saying look at this star that we made he's more so that guy who left us and comes back every once in a while and we're kind of seeing that a little bit with batista now do you suppose that king kong bundy was kind of viewed the same way is that why vince didn't treat him the same way and elevate him into that main event scene and instead had him wrestling six mans with midgets well, you know, no, that wasn't that was happening before he left. Yeah, that was I guess that trans- was before he left. They transitioned. It? They transitioned him after that Hogan thing, where you know he went to the big card. He was working at Hillbilly Gyms and things like that. And you know, it, he he also had a great tag team run with Big John Studd. 
And I think, you know, they just had all, they had so many of those giants back then that they were easily, you know, interchangeable. And, and obviously the giant of giants, Andre, you know, they, they wanted to get that final run with him for the WrestleMania three. And, and essentially, I mean, that gave you everything with Andre took you from WrestleMania three, pretty much, you know, even beyond WrestleMania four, as they were still involved with the mega power story. That was Andre's ball to carry there as that ultimate big man. So you had guys like Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy that were you know pushed down the card a little bit. And we look at his comeback here. I, I'd love you to bring this up. That's a great question. Let's look at the timing on that. You know, he leaves, he goes into what they're calling semi-retirement from late late eighties to mid nineties. They're in the middle of that transition. They're switching over to new generation when he comes back. Bret Hart's the Shawn Michaels. Well, and you've got, you know, without really pulling it up in the stats here, but, you know, just kind of get people thinking that direction. I mean, you've got, you know, Hogan's on his way out. You're getting ready to the boom of the steroid scandal as well. So you're trying to distance yourself for some of those really not, you know, not saying that Bundy, anyone's ever going to really accuse him of, you know, being the most chisel cut and all that. But still to see, you know, a, a mass of a human like that, you're naturally going to question, you know, is there some kind of enhancement going on? And I think it was just a case of they were moving away from that kind of stuff. And the one big man that they were using right around then who who kind of got that big shine, uh, that great rub was so incredibly athletic. We're talking about Bam Bam Bigelow. So, again, it's just a case of it's great to have Bundy. You have that lore of, you know, the past, what he had done there. He is a larger-than-life figure. But, you know, the timing was just wrong. You also had Undertaker just starting his run around that time. You know, and right. who, who wants to be a big man trying to work a gimmick after you see what would become the greatest gimmick performer of all time? Well, I got to think he probably had some matches. Hold on, he wrestled Undertaker at WrestleMania. Yeah, at Mania, yeah. It okay, was one of yeah. Taker's first Mania matches. Yeah, so, I mean, that's they, that was when they're, you're bringing in the likes of, you're just, at that point, they're, they were, you know, Undertaker's being treated as like the novelty act. So you're looking for other just giants to match up with him. So obviously, Bundy's a great choice for you there. So WrestleMania they had 11. They had their match at WrestleMania 11. And that's the same reason that you had like giant Gonzalez brought into the company. They just wanted someone of that, you know, just that, that magnitude, that size, you know, to come in and put, you know, put over Undertaker. Rest in peace, Keith Flint, Luke Perry and King Kong Bundy. But of course, Huckleberry, the show must go on. And we do have a lot of professional wrestling to talk about this week. And we're on a little bit of a time crunch, so let's go ahead and jump into it. We'll, we'll try to keep the show under two hours because there's so damn much content. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and start things off with New Japan Pro Wrestling. We've got a few highlights here from the anniversary show. Rick, did you have a chance to check out the anniversary show at all? Uh, after I saw the run here, I did my best to hit the highlights, things that were kind of, you know, you know the key items that you had laid out here for me. I still want to go back because what I saw, I, I, I was... I was pulled in. I want to sit down and take some time to watch this entire thing, but I, I got enough to fake this, man. This it was one of those shows that it was just like, this was a really good show. There was absolutely nothing that really jumped off the page or stood out to you and just completely blew you away. But from the opening of the show until the end of the show, it was a really good show. Uh, three big matches really to talk about. Number one, the IWGP Junior Tag Team Championships. Los Ingobernables. Day. 
Upon defending the titles against Rapungi 3K, Sho and Yo, along with their annoying manager, Rocky Romero, and his stupid blaster cannon, Sho and Yo take the tag team championships here. And Rick, this was kind of a surprise to a bit of everybody, really. Yeah, and it wasn't so much. It is immediately when I saw this, and I I sent you a message right away after I, I saw the finish of this thing. I was completely taken off guard that, that they put kind of put the titles back on show and yo, and that we're seeing the frequency of these titles changing hands here. Uh, you kind of you've laid it out for me, you know, this why this makes sense. And, and I guess if you are going to jump titles around, I guess the junior division is the place to do it. Yep, I think uh, that story, as well as the story of the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship defended by Taiji Ishimori, he holds off a game Jushin Thunder Liger in 16 minutes to retain the championship. Uh, I think these two things are very, very much connected because after the match, we have Dragon Lee come out and issue the challenge to Ishimori. It's going to be Dragon Lee versus Taiji Ishimori inside of Madison Square Garden for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. If you are looking for a match to potentially steal that show, I'm circling that one in bright red ink, and I don't think I'm circling anything else on the card. That match is going to be freaking ridiculous. Hey, when we were excited to see Lee come back to New Japan, you know, this is what he brings this level of excitement. And to see him now already going right back into title contention, I mean, this is going to grab, but this is going to grab eyes from all over the globe. You know, this is like a must-see. This is must-see attraction right here. Yeah, for a junior heavyweight championship match, if you like the junior style, this match is going to be right up your alley. Now, you may be wondering, what does Dragon Lee challenging Ishimori for the junior title and LIJ dropping the tag titles to Sho and Yo, what do they have to do with each other? Well, we have heard reports that Hiromu Takahashi is now 93.7% healed. That number, of course, comes from Hiromu. 93.7%. He's getting very, very close to his return. Obviously, Dragon Lee is the individual that injured Hiromu Takahashi, and Hiromu then lost the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship via forfeit because he could not defend the title. Hiromu also belongs to Los Ingobernables de Japón. So I'm thinking what's going to happen here is they're going to move Shingo out of the junior division because he doesn't belong there anyway. He's bigger than half of the freaking heavyweights. There's not room for three junior heavyweights inside of LIJ. That's really what this comes down to. Hiromu, excuse me, will be the feature junior heavyweight inside of LIJ. Bushi will be the tag partner when tag matches are called for, and Shingo moves on to the heavyweight division where he's really belonged. So the the two stories are kind of intertwined, but long story short, Hiromu is on his way back. Thank goodness. I'd say anyone that hasn't seen what, what Jargo is talking about, this injury, go check this out. You know, go hit the Google machine. Check this thing out. It was absolutely devastating. Uh, and it really kind of it kind of put a little black eye on Dragon Lee at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, qu- quite a bit of heat. And is it is is that anything to do with what's taken him so long to kind of transition back? I don't know. Getting it, it, back to New Japan or it that's a very, very or, curious. Or was it just or was it just coincidental timing? I, I think it's a large part of it is coincidental timing. Um because when that injury happened 
it was right before G1 season really kicked off. And from that point on through the second half of the year, there's not a whole lot for the junior heavyweights to do. So, of course, Dragon Lee goes back to Mexico and he's doing the Mexico thing. Uh, the Really, the only opportunity that he would have been featured inside of New Japan that he missed would have been Junior Tag League uh, because he's been back pretty much since then. And it doesn't seem as though he's getting any kind of heat from the company itself or from the audience. Fair enough. I do hope Hiromu comes back and kicks his whiny little ass, though. Uh, Let's also talk about Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, The match against Ishimori was really, really good, man, uh, because it was much more of a technical wrestling junior heavyweight match as opposed to the typical car crash junior heavyweight matches that we're used to. So just immediately it stands out because it's a little bit different style. Liger, of course, now at 54 years old, it's not like he's out there doing shooting star presses anymore. But Jushin Thunder Liger has announced that he will be retiring after Wrestle Kingdom January 4th inside of the Tokyo Dome. You want to talk about a legendary career. Jushin Thunder Liger is the very definition of a legendary career and junior heavyweight championship wrestling. Uh, Rick, I guess the big question that I have for you, we have seen them now. We are on Tiger Mask number four where they have just replaced the gimmick with a new performer. Jushin Liger is owned by New Japan Pro Wrestling. They bought that gimmick. Um, Do we see a Liger version too? Or do you retire the gimmick as well as the performer? That's a pretty interesting point there. And, you know, I I really like, you know, just to speak to, you know, the performer now, uh, the Liger that we know, as you said, 54 years old. And this man has transcended just styles, promotions, continents i mean he was one of the first true global stars of professional wrestling and he was probably uh, and just not he, he tiger mask and dynamite kid are probably the three most influential junior wrestlers on the face of the planet i mean obviously you get into that next generation you get into guys like benoit and guerrero and mysterio but they were all influenced by the likes of a jushin thunder liger well, and then you, you're even talking about the influence. Well, Liger just continued through each of those generations, through each era. He continued to raise the bar himself. And, and as you're talking, you know, now at 54 years old, yeah, you could tell that he's adjusted his style, uh, especially in, you know, in the last five to eight years, whatever. There, hey, but the old man could still go to the well when he needs to, and, and wow, the masses when need be. And, you know, just to, to be able to go this long in anything, any sport, any industry, especially how physical this is on his body, simply incredible. You know what? It's something different to us. And I guess, you know, a lot of people to pass on the mask, you know, that is something that would be special like they did with Tiger Mask. And I guess, you know, for a lot of Western fans, because we've I've heard this conversation before. I'm sure you've heard it where people have talked about, well, could they pass on the Undertaker gimmick? Yeah, that's been a hot topic of conversation for the last three to five years. Yeah, you know, could someone else step into that role and kind of just become known as the Undertaker? Should have been Bray Wyatt. I think it's it's a very interesting conversation, and I guess I guess maybe it's a little it's a change in dynamic when we're talking about what we're used to in sports entertainment in the West as opposed to professional wrestling in Japan. I think they would be a little more open to it, correct? Oh, yeah, uh, and it would be absolutely. such. Such a tremendous honor. I can't even imagine the pressure to be placed on one's shoulders, you know, to don that mask. 
Uh, but what a great honor that would be. I I say go with it now, man. You, you kind of you put me in a spot here. We got to go on the fly with it, but I'm going to roll with it. One of my personal favorites, uh, Chris Jericho actually played a Jushin Liger character at one time, Super Liger, and it was Super Liger versus Jushin Liger. That was great stuff, man. So, I mean, there, there have been other people don the costume and the mask. It would not surprise me to see them move that along because, I mean, dude, you, you talk about merch machines. Roman Reigns might be a merch machine when it comes to the WWE, but when you consider Jushin Liger and his popularity between the, the comic and between the cartoon and between the music and the likeness and the literal national star that is Jushin Liger, just think of how much money he brings in and merch for new japan pro wrestling god vince is like salivating thinking about the the money that out of those masks and how he hasn't been able to capture anything like that since ray mysterio and, and even in and not a knock against ray that probably doesn't even hold a candle to what liger has made through his through his merch his mass sales yeah 30 years of liger fantastic uh Let's, let's move on to one of the strangest things that you're going to ever hear us talk about here on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Sierra Hotel. India. Echo. Lima. Delta. Shield. Now, you may be wondering why the Shield music is playing in the background. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we now have the Japanese Shield. That's right. That's what I'm dubbing this team. The Japanese Shield. It's you now have Kazuchika Okada playing the role of Goofy Dean Ambrose. You have Hiroshi Tanahashi playing the role of the architect Seth Rollins. And then, of course, you have the Roman Reigns of New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's right, Hiroki Goto, the guy that we got to attach two stars to to try to get over, Hiroki Goto, the third member of the Japanese Shield. They take on Los Ingobernables. They... Hapan, that's $300 on this show already, Mr. Rhodes. The team of Tetsuya Naito, Evil, and Sonata. Uh, this match, Rick, it, it was a typical six-man tag match, but man, I was really getting that shield vibe through this entire thing. And then they have Hiroki Goto pin Sonata in this crazy like roll-up finish that I've never seen. Even Sonata was blown away by this thing. The, the, the man who invented, well, not invented, but the man who overexposes the Paradise Lock on a regular basis gets rolled up in this crazy pinning combination. Hiroki Goto getting the big pinfall win. Really, the, the, the only thing of any importance inside of this match was Okada and Naito. We got a, a face-off between those two, and it really feels like they're planting the seeds for maybe a potential G1 final between Kazuchika Okada and Tetsuya Naito. Well, it's going to say this whole thing was about, and I, like you, know, when you're talking about this show, really nothing jumps out, but I, they did, I thought they did such a great job of, you know, this was a blueprint creating creating a buzz moving forward for shadowing things that we're going to get this show in itself you know it, it it's not only you know what we're looking at at the junior championship you know in Madison Square Garden you know what's going to happen there but more so building that hype getting that the machine going behind the new Japan Cup which ultimately the big payoff is going to happen in Madison Square Garden you know and I was one of those individuals that that wasn't a big fan initially of the winner of the cup going to challenge there, but I got a hat tip to them. They're doing a great job of building this interest in 
and laying the groundwork for multiple stories to be told through this tournament to get you invested, whoever emerges victorious here, to go into Madison Square Garden. Another man who wants to win the New Japan Cup, his name is Will Ospreay. He actually took on the champion, the Switchblade Jay White. First time that we've gotten to see the Switchblade as IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, and it freaking nauseates me. That's what it does. It freaking nauseates me. Him and Ospreay, though, man, they actually had a really good match. Those two guys have a lot of chemistry together. Ospreay, of course, making the big move to heavyweight. Jay White trying very, very hard to become this era's Triple H. That's right. He's he's a mediocre worker who has a good look, and so we're going to tie a freaking rocket ship to this kid. Um, it was a decent match, man. Of course, Switchblade gets the win in the end, going over the never-open-weight champion, but that's when the real story picks up because we have Kota Ibushi on commentary. That was an important part of the show, and of course, he's out there for the entire show. Just for this freaking spot, Ibushi sits through this three-hour show, sitting there calling all these matches. Just so at the end of the night, when Gato and Jay White attack Will Ospreay, Kota Ibushi can jump into the ring and make the big save, and you get this very nice moment between Kota Ibushi and Switchblade Jay White sitting there staring each other down, which tells me this thing's a swerve. Ibushi's not winning the New Japan Cup. We're going to keep building to that. That match is going to happen, but it's not going to be inside of Madison Square Garden. This thing was out there to swerve everybody. So then the Bullet Club comes out and it takes out Kota Ibushi and Will Ospreay. The entire Bullet Club. I'm talking Gorillas, Fale, Haiku Leo, Chase Owens is out there, Yujiro's out there. I'm pretty sure Bunny was choking somebody with her thong. It's absolute madness out there. And then, that's right, it's time. Sierra Hotel, India, Echo, Lima, Delta, Shield. Out comes the Japanese Hounds of Justice, and Okada and Tanahashi and Hiroki Goto run off the entire frickin' Bullet Club. Three guys taking out the entire faction that is the baddest motherfuckers in all of pro wrestling. All you need is the Japanese Shield with Hiroki Goto standing tall. And so then we have this this interesting dichotomy of we have Okada in the ring and Tanahashi in the ring and Goto in the ring and Osprey in the ring and Ibushi in the ring and Switchblade Jay White standing on the apron. And all four of them go through the line. I'm going to win the New Japan Cup. No, I'm going to win the New Japan Cup. No, I'm going to win the New Japan Cup. And Switchblade tells him it doesn't matter who wins the New Japan Cup because I'm going to whip your ass. That's basically the story that's going on here. So, Rick... I think we've got it basically narrowed down to five now. We have Kota Ibushi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, Hiroki Goto, and Will Ospreay. Those have got to be the five guys who are the favorites to win the New Japan Cup. I'm changing my vote. It's not going to be Kota Ibushi. It's going to be fucking Goto. It's going to be fucking Roman Reigns versus Jay White. It's going to be Roman Reigns versus Triple H versus... In Madison Square Garden. I'm just nauseated by this. It's going to be fucking Goto because Goto's the only one who can take this loss. What you're talking about this loss, how how confident are you that they will not make this change? I, I can't believe that they're going to change that title. Well, and I know I know you're against it happening one so soon. And, it, and it's not 
and I know both of us weren't really fans of like getting this thing, but just for the, the pure prestige of the championship and what it means, uh, it's almost criminal. And I could tell, I mean, it, it pains you down to your core to think that they would do this uh, to your beloved IWGP championship. But I got to thinking about this thing. And if we look at, you know, the grand picture, we look at history here. When we talk about, you know, the hollow grounds, the, the true kingdoms, when we're talking arenas and, and hotbeds for professional wrestling, in my mind, there are two arenas. It is the Dome and it is Madison Square Garden. Fair enough. I'm looking at I mean, just the history to say this would be the first time that a major world's heavyweight championship has changed hands in both the Dome and the Garden, correct? Hmm. Yeah, it would have to be. I mean, because the w, WWF, WWE, WWF, how many? That w's obviously never, never changed in hands in, in the Tokyo right. Dome. Right. So this would be the first time ever in New Japan can make claim to that on these hollow grounds. You know, the Dome, the Tokyo Dome, Madison Square Garden. Our company has made history first. And when you look at something, an accomplishment of that magnitude, it's, it's rare for a company to say that they've beaten WWE to the punch on something like that. Yeah, that would be very, very rare. Of course, there's also still the possibility of Jericho, which I do very much like that possibility as well. Um, but yeah, man, everything's screaming to me it's going to be Goto because I, I can't see Okada taking another loss to Switchblade. I can't see Tanahashi taking another loss to Switchblade. I'm not sure that we want Ibushi to take a loss to Switchblade at this point with Ibushi just really signing on to New Japan full time. Um, I don't think Osprey is going to win New Japan Cup. I mean, my God, he, he has to get through Fale first. And it's got to be Goto. Looking at the at the road here, you know, Goto's kind of got. I, he's obviously he's got Sonata in the first round, right? Yes. Okay, past that one. I mean, that right there is must see, especially in Sonata. You know, who is kind of marked as a potential future ace there. Uh, but that is the week the week bracket. You know, if we're looking at this thing as a March Madness kind of deal, that's got to be your your weak region. I mean, for Christ's sake, you got Cabana and Yano in a first round matchup there. In that region. Yeah. Um, who do you think? So I'm thinking you have, he has to defeat Sonata and then Suzuki and then Zack Sabre Jr. And, and then that would, that would put him in the final four. What if, if you, like you're saying though, if you get like Abushi there to that final four, maybe if, if you really want to save that match with him and white later, and we are seeing this more of this interference or that Western influence, maybe white cost Abushi that match. That's a good possibility. To, to add some steam, put some further heat on the pro, a potential program for them. I think that's what makes this exciting. You know, like you said, there are five front runners here. We've got some tremendous matchups coming. And it, and it really, what we don't know is the direction, the commitment that New Japan is willing to, to make and take heading into Madison Square Garden. You know, here is, is we're sitting in the States. And a lot of the fans that are anticipating this show and are just really heating up to New Japan, in our minds, you know, we think we are the most important thing that they want to put their best foot forward here. That might not be the case. They want they want to save some of that stuff for their homeland, for that audience, that core audience that is there. But we have seen them where they are turning a little bit uh, against what they would normally favor. 
Yeah, absolutely. So here's the line out for the first round of the New Japan Cup. This is going to be an absolutely insane weekend. We have four shows in the next four days. Actually, as you are listening to this, if you are listening to it directly at the time of release, the first show is already happening. Friday's show is going to be Nakanishi versus Yoshihashi, Tamaki Honma versus Tai Chi, Yuji Nagata versus Tomohiro Ishii, and Juice Robinson versus Chase Owens. That's the match on Friday that I am the most looking forward to because I could see that one really going either way. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. You know, Juice getting, you know, the, the great push within Ring of Honor, Chase re up and getting that nice new deal with New Japan. I, I think. This is almost a must win for both of these guys. And if Chase wins, it sets up a big championship match between Chase Owens and Juice Robinson for the U.S. title. A a tremendous opportunity for Chase to get in, you know, to kind of just go from a Bullet Club job squad into a championship picture. I think that's an opportunity, a breakout opportunity that he has been hungering for. Nagata versus Ishii might be RBV's match of the year. That thing is going to be physical. Those two guys don't like each other at all. i just go back here real quick. I, I can even imagine this thing. I can imagine this thing come, come June 7th, the morning of June 8th, we could be sitting here talking about the IWGP United States champion in the battle on the border pro wrestling heavyweight champion Chase Owens. He might be rocking both of that gold. Uh, that, that's if he does get the nod, uh, the challenge for Brandon Xavier for uh, the battle on the border heavyweight championship. But I got some inside sources, and I hear that might be in the works. I'd pay to see that match. Absolutely. Let's talk about Saturday. Hanare versus Lance Archer, the spit water guy. Mikey Nichols, formerly, you know, from TM61, he's going to take on Haiku Leo. Will Ospreay takes on Bad Luck Fale and possibly the biggest mismatch that I've ever seen in my life. It's going to be absolutely ridiculous. Ospreay has injured ribs. He's not going to be able to do anything to Bad Luck Fale. And then your big main event is going to be Kazuchika Okada taking on Big Mike, Mike Elgin. Uh, I think that'll be a really good match, too, because those two guys have very good chemistry together. We've seen them in G1 matches and New Japan Cup matches before. Any of these matches catch your eye? It's just some of the names that just kind of remind me of things in the past. Mikey Nichols, he used to hate us in Southern Ohio. He was wrestling for a promotion, uh, the Northern Wrestling Federation. He, he came in. They have a, a tremendous training camp that's associated with them called Bone Crushers. Uh, so he did. I think he was there almost maybe probably like a year. And he w- was doing a tour running against the champ at the time. It was their big bad villain and all that. But us, us drunk assholes, uh, you know, just totally being the biggest marks we could in the audience, passing around the mad dog. You know, that's, that's the good time we were having. We would start these USA chants. And he would, like, remind us. Like, he'd stop the match and be like, or the Stone would stop the match. Like, I'm the bad guy. You're supposed to boo me. And we're like, nah, I was like. We hate you, but we hate him more. Because <laughs> we would just get on him with the Aussie stuff all the time. And he absolutely hated us. I'm interested to see that match, especially up against Haiku Leo. Uh, of course, the big little brother of Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa. Uh, and, of course, where one Tongan goes, the others are always sure to follow. Could be a yeah. long night for Mikey. Yeah, you got to keep... Uh... Keep your head on a, on a swivel. 
Osprey and Fale is just going to be ridiculous. I can't wait to watch Fale just murder that little son of a... Let's talk about Sunday's show. Uh, Tenzan is going to take on Taguchi. Taguchi, of course, replacing David Finley out with a separated shoulder. Unfortunate to hear that. We wish him the best. Hope he gets better real soon. Of course, he's a vital part of what's going on in Ring of Honor right now with Lifeblood. Then we have Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on Young Lion and Shota Umino. Evil takes on Zack Sabre Jr. in what is sure to be an absolute absolute classic because those two guys freaking hate one another and then you have the big match of round one the one that everybody has circled the must-see match five star maybe six star 18 star on the Meltzer scale Kota Ibushi is going to take on Tetsuya Naito leader of Los Engobernobles day pepon I'm just trolling you now Cody there there might not be enough stars in the Meltzer Midnight Sky for that one. That's going to be a fantastic match, man. But I'm really looking forward to Evil and ZSJ because those two guys have quite the storied history, and Evil has not had very good luck against Zack Sabre Jr. I was going to say, looking at some of these brackets, I'm loving some of these first rounds, but it's like, man, I like to see these deeper in the tournament, you know, because some of these second rounds matches, I feel they might be a little disappointing. Do you think Sabre makes a run here, or do you think that they take him out in the first round after winning last year's Cup? It seems not that, I mean, you'll be able to correct me here if I'm wrong, but it just seems that as I'm starting to, to learn more and have this, this style grow on me, that's something that they would do is like an early elimination. Yeah, just surprise out of nowhere. Evil rolls him up with a schoolboy. CSJ loses his freaking mind. I could absolutely see that. Let's talk about Monday's show. A couple of big matches on this one, too. Togi Makabe takes on Colt Cabana. Roman Reigns takes on Sonata. Yeah, because we've set that whole thing up. Hiroki Goto and Sonata. That's going to be a big one that people are going to have circled to see which way they want to go here. Yano takes on Davey Boy Smith Jr. My God, I hope the Bulldog just absolutely murders this. Oh, son that, of a that's bitch. what I was wrong there. Yeah, it would end up, it would be Cabana and Yano second round. Yes. Yeah, I have a I have a really really bad feeling about that for Davy Boy Smith Jr. But the the other part of that is Makabe would have to lose to Colt Cabana. Can you see that happening? I, I think both are surprised. But here's you know everyone's getting so I guess geared up that it's going to be going back to the comedy match there. Get to realize we've been seeing a much different Colt Cabana as of late. Yeah, that's so true. He's buckling back down and letting you know that he is a serious competitor and could be a contender he, he's reminding people that he is a former nwa world's champion you know we've, we've seen that side here in the states from him now the question is will they honor that over there or is it going to be we want you guys to go out there and just clown it up maybe we have the story all wrong maybe this is all building to yano versus makabe they of course are former tag team partners who have refound each other we've been seeing them tag up a lot the most violent players we've we're starting to see a bit more of a serious side out of yano as well what do you think could could we be on pace for a, a, a mvp clash in round 2 you could i think that's the beauty of this cup i mean we got so many I, hey, Makabe might be out. We might get Cabana and Yano as some serious, uh, as a serious team together. It nauseates me that in every scenario that I play out in this thing, Yano beats Yano David Boy Smith. God 
damn it. Suzuki also takes on Kojima in your battle of absolute freaking legends to round this thing out. I'm really looking forward to this match. Of course, the leader of the Bread Club... Kojima, he recently came back from injury, and we're not really sure where he's going to fall into the the New Japan world right now. Is he going to be more on that legend side, or is he going to still kind of be a player inside of New Japan, kind of like Minoru Suzuki, quite possibly the most terrifying man on the face of the planet? He's going to be up in the air. I, I don't... I'm sitting here trying to break this thing down. Thankfully, thankfully we don't have to fill one of these things out. <laughs> yeah, my God, this thing is absolutely crazy. Let's uh, let's go ahead and throw things over to the women of WoW. We've got some big news coming from the women of WoW yesterday, Rick. It has been renewed for season two. It's going to be a 24-episode run. Of course, the big finale is Friday on Access TV. I'm I'm very disappointed this only got eight episodes for season one well i think you know it's we're we're seeing we're seeing access they're they're making the commitment to professional wrestling but even in this you know it's this is going back to where this really i could see there in the pitch it's such a novelty kind of act and it just has that niche and you're wondering is this thing going to hit that target audience give them give them a chance here And, and they hit it out of the park i think this is probably one of the best produced uh even you know just from television standpoint to the personas that we're getting to the in-ring action this is one of the the best programs involving professional wrestling on television right now i could not agree more i think that the way that the execution has been for wow season one on access tv has been absolutely out of the park and there's one person that you can thank for that rick and her name is samantha smart i mean i have an interview with her dropping in just a couple of minutes here but your main event for this week's show are you ready for this your main event to close out season one is for the wow championship it's going to be jessica havoc taking on tessa blanchard now, this is a match that could main event basically anywhere in the world on pretty much any show in the freaking world. This thing is going to be absolute fire. I can't believe this is going to be the main event of season one. And then leading into season two, I'm, I'm assuming Tessa holds on to this championship. Assuming? I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to. You know what? I, I was thinking in my mind, Tessa... But hell, I, I don't care if it's if it's Jessica Havoc or not. Both of them, both of them would be just as exciting. I'm just waiting for the Beast to come after that championship. Yeah, Beast is gonna be coming. Of course, it's gonna be Beast and Jungle Girl. It seems those two ladies are absolutely destined to square off with one another. And I don't know which way I fall on that one either. They're both friends of the show, and I I, I have absolutely no idea uh, which way. You, that you, goes. you talk about natural born enemies, the Jungle Girl and the Beast. I don't care. That, that beast. I, I don't know how yeah, how WWE has not scooped her up, how AEW, any of these so-called major promotions are not just beating down the door to get to her. Hey, NWA, give me beast and jazz. God, that I want to see that match. I really want to see that match. That would be a freaking kick-ass match. Those two girls just beat the ever-loving you know what out of one another uh that's so yeah put that son of a bitch in a cage oh jesus see now you're just teasing me you're just teasing me let's make that happen that that match needs to happen i want to see that match so let's talk about samantha smart samantha smart this woman 
Rick, she's she's smarter than me. I don't like being on the phone with people that are clearly smarter than me, but it was very obvious to me after like the opening question that she is definitely IQ superior and I am absolutely IQ inferior. There's there's absolutely no question about it. She might be the smartest guest that we've ever had on the show. She's also the executive manager of WOW. So she handles all of the travel, all of the booking, all of the scheduling for this entire promotion. Uh, there, there are some people that say that she is David McLean's personal assistant. She does not like that whatsoever. Her and David McLean don't seem to like each other. She is the executive manager of WOW. Miss Samantha Smart, she also accompanies the disciplinarian to the ring. She went out and hired her own wrestler just to go out and dish out punishment on her behalf. I mean, you want to talk about savage. But you know, this is this is something that I'm I'm seeing a lot more in wrestling these days. She is all about the analytics of professional wrestling. We get to hear a little bit about that inside of this interview. Rick, let me ask you, do do analytics have any place in professional wrestling? Well, they, they once told Billy Bean that they didn't have any spot in professional baseball, and uh, he's been doing all right with it. All right. Well, I want to see Scott Steiner write the book on Moneyball for professional wrestling. Here is the interview with Miss Samantha Smart coming out of which we'll go to the break. And then on the other side, we're going to come back and talk some NXT and, of course, some WWE Fastlane. We'll be right back. What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back to this very special edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, presented by Hami Media and in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day, but let's talk a little bit about my guest this week. She graduated magna cum laude from Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri, majoring in product development with minors in visual arts and business, as well as a standout tennis player, a former first chair flautist. But these days, She's blowing the wrestling world's minds with her IQ superior. From the WOW superheroes, Miss Samantha Smart. Miss Smart, welcome to the show. Yes, yes. Um, well, thank you for scheduling myself, Samantha Smart, the exalted deity of truth and knowledge, on your program. It is kind of you to offer a truly fortuitous opportunity such as this to your IQ inferior masses. I, I already feel like my head's ready to explode after a response like that. Great stuff. Uh, Ms. Smart, let's let's go ahead and jump into the interview here. But before we jump into everything that's been going on with the WOW Superheroes on Access TV, Friday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the first question that we ask all of our guests on the show, when did you first discover your love of professional wrestling and how did you find your way into the business? Yes, well, that's that's a good starting point. Um, prior to my decision to take WOW under my wings, I had worked as a senior technical designer um, and operations manager in the workforce. You can trust me when I say I had conquered these realms and needed a new challenge. I was actually conducting a private TED Talk for Silicon Valley's elite. 
as well as scientists and engineers, of course, from JPL Laboratories, when someone first brought WOW to my attention. Uh, after it was on my radar, I did my due diligence, and then I reached out directly to WOW because the concept really it intrigued me. Um, and David McLean and Jeannie Buss hired me on spot to help improve their operations as executive manager. So as I observed the superheroes train, I was thinking to myself, well, I can certainly do this too. And if I train with my work ethic and my superior IQ, I cannot see a scenario where I wouldn't defeat the entire roster. So you cannot say that I stumbled into the business. I mean, this is a calculated part of my greater plan. And I'm studying from the IQ inferior for the greater good of society. And it will be a frightening day for everyone in the WOW roster when I step into that ring. We're looking forward to it, as well as a talent on the screen. You're also very active behind the scenes as the executive manager of WOW Superheroes, working very closely with Mr. David McLean. How did you first meet Mr. McLean? And tell us a bit of what you do for WOW behind the scenes. Yes, well, I just I just covered how I discovered WOW. And for the sake of efficiency, I reached out directly to David McLean to obtain my current position at WOW. Uh, my responsibilities are vast and ever-growing. When you are IQ superior um, and good at everything, it's really only natural for companies to try to utilize your talent in as many aspects of their operations as they can. So I do a lot at WOW. I have my hands in a lot of different areas from uh, operations, scheduling, costumes, social media, obviously on-camera items as well. And as the saying goes, the smartest thing you can do is hire someone smarter than yourself. So hats off to David McLean because he has succeeded by hiring me. You mentioned there that you take care of the scheduling for a while. And of course, this Friday, the first season comes to its conclusion on Mr. Mark Cuban's network, Access TV. It's been a huge success. As the scheduler, can you give us any kind of insight when we may be expecting season two to hit Access TV? Yes, that, that is all correct. And you have come certainly to the right person for information. Um, a live Access TV press conference that I arranged will be commencing shortly, actually, within the hour. And it will provide really specific information and details on season two. And I can tell you now that we will be conducting TV tapings and live wrestling filming on the 15th and 16th of this May um, in downtown Los Angeles, once again at the the beautiful Belasco Theater. And tickets and information will be available on our website, uh, com. And I would recommend signing up for the email newsletter as well because it's a great way to receive WOW updates and get first dibs on tickets and events and stay in the know. Fantastic. Looking forward to those big announcements. As we mentioned earlier, not only behind the scenes, but also on camera this season with WOW, we've seen you primarily in a managerial role alongside of the disciplinarian. As the IQ superior, you always have a plan going into the match, but how does the thought process change between being inside the ring versus being outside the ring in a managerial role? Indeed. Well, whether I am inside the ring or outside the ring, I really have the same goal, and that is achieving results. So the difference lies primarily in methods. Um, 
When I'm outside of the ring, I'm observing, I'm calculating, I'm determining what course to take moving forward to get those results that I want. And I'm essentially working through someone that I believe will yield a a high ROI, essentially. Um, And in the ring, I'm relying on myself, my superior abilities. I, of course, am always prepared, but in the ring, I must act personally. You know, that's the difference on this plan rather than instructing my proxy. So I know that everyone is wanting to see my IQ superior skill set in the ring, uh, but you have to remember that my IQ is absurdly high. It is quantifiable at levels slightly higher than Graham's number. And a quick explanation, I'm sure you have some IQ inferior listeners, uh, Graham's number is ridiculously large. There's not enough space in the observable universe to write all of it down. Um, The digits can't be recorded. And if you attempted storage in your brain, it would collapse on itself infinitely, forming a black hole. Um, So I can't risk my precious brain being bumped or damaged in the ring. I have so much to offer that it makes more sense sometimes for me to work through someone else, really allowing them to take the blows for me um, and enforce on my behalf. So I'm currently doing this work through the disciplinarian, and I would say discipline seemed like an obvious starting point um, for improvement among the WOW roster. All makes complete logical sense to me. Uh, Do you ever have any issues when dealing with the disciplinarian being IQ superior that you're trying to express to her, this is what I want you to do, and and she's just not grasping your, your vast intelligence? Right. I mean, it, it truly is a dilemma, and I do have this issue with the disciplinarian. And I imagine with human inferiority that I would have this with any proxy that I'm using. But as you have seen, if you have been following the season, she has obtained a loss for us, which is not to my liking. So I will really have to work. I will have to change my methods with her to ensure that she doesn't get a result such as that again on our record. I'm intrigued how the disciplinarian gets disciplined. Your your in-ring training, of course, has been handled by Miss Selena Majors, friend of the show. You can find that interview in our archives going back a couple of weeks. Uh, tell us a bit about your training with Miss Majors and your approach to in-ring competition. Yes, um, Selena Majors, formerly known as Bambi, she has competed across the globe and held countless championship titles. Uh, so we're happy to have her as our coach. Uh, Selena is now passing her wealth of knowledge along to the next generation of superheroes as an experienced, genuine, and really passionate trainer. And when you are in the ring with her, you will learn about wrestling and you will learn about respect. And if you aren't down to learn that combination of, of both, you will be asked, and not very nicely, I should add, to leave. So typically I would find her high levels of passion and emotion for the business as frivolous and annoying. But in this specific scenario of training, it really works and it's really yielding great results in our roster. She, she prevents IQ inferiors from wasting my valuable time during training. So I would like to thank Selena Majors for speeding up Darwinism. Um, let's see my approach to in-ring competition, I think was the second part of your question. Um, everyone's in-ring approach is different, but mine, mine is inspired by Leonardo da Vinci. 
I mean, an embodiment of Renaissance humanism. What didn't he do? Artist, painter, inventor, cartographer, even a scientist. He participated in all facets of intellectual subjects, and I take a similar approach in the ring. I am well-rounded. I am technical. I am innovative. I am an enforcer, and above all, I am a winner. And I think above all else, we forgot that Leonardo was a Ninja Turtle. That's the important one, right? <laughs> yes, actually, and that might be an easier way for the IQ inferior to understand what I just said. Valid point. Miss Smart, you're one of the faces of the WoW superheroes on social media, live tweeting along with the fans during the episodes using hashtag WoW superheroes. One of the big things that I noticed in looking at your Twitter feed is you seem to be scouting some of the other talent inside of WoW. Obviously, you're an incredibly busy person, but are there any of the other superheroes who have maybe impressed you enough that you may be offering your services to? Well, let me ask you a question. Does the mass energy equivalent explain light as the universal speed limit? Similar to the question you just asked me, the answer is obviously yes. A few wrestlers in the roster have piqued my interest as being mm, possible use to my end goal. But it's really whoever suits my needs. That's my tool of the moment. Right now, my tool is the disciplinarian. And there is a tool for every job, and there are many tools in WOW. So whatever my current tool is, I am observing them, gathering data, and refining my strategies. I am in the process of analyzing all of my data, but you can expect to see the development of new IQ superior partnerships and mergers next season on Access TV. I have many requests, as you could guess, from the WOW roster and WOW fans for my services. So I'll be making careful decisions next season on who is worthy of them. Tremendous. Looking forward to that. Diversely, there are some of the other superheroes who, oh, I guess, I guess I should say they, they've kind of annoyed you a bit in looking at your feed. Are there, are there any of the superheroes that you're very much looking forward to getting into the ring and showcasing your IQ superior knowledge to them? Yes, well, saying they annoyed me is quite an understatement, but who? where do I begin? I could make quite a list and a long answer for this question. So let's start with Kita Rush. What a repugnant little thing she is. I would like to trounce that parasite so we don't have to endure listening to her seemingly endless cliche tales of woe and adversity. Hmm, after Kita, maybe we can move on to Princess Ozzy. Australia is a former British colony and was used to house British convicts, not princesses. No monarchy has ever existed as a sovereign state, and her claim to royal lineage is null and void. The truth is she descended from criminals, and I would relish the opportunity to teach her a lesson or two. And for the sake of science and facts, I would also be willing to take a match against Cobra Moon for the greater good of society. She is a self-proclaimed, what is it, reptile queen, serpent queen, I don't know. But either way, animals in the class of reptilia have no social hierarchy, let alone a ruling class. So perhaps she would be better suited playing make-believe with the equally delusional Princess Ozzy. Well, I won't continue on with this for much longer, but I will, I will add one more to this list. I would say, most of all, 
the born legend, Tessa Blanchard. (laughs) The word legend evokes connotation historical in nature. However, Tessa Blanchard is a mere child and a chattery, annoying one at that. There is no legend to see here. And I would probably need to first get a permission slip signed by her dad's but I would love to squash this petulant child. Good stuff. Those are all matches that I would very much like to see. Uh, One of the other matches that I noticed that you were discussing on your Twitter feed was Jungle Girl versus The Beast. These two women seem like they are absolutely on a collision course. And given the analytics, do you value either one over the other when it comes to this inevitable fight that's going to happen between the two? Yes, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this clash of the Titans. You notice that they are not on my list because I admire them. Um, I would, wouldn't mind working alongside either of them. And, I mean, who, know, who knows how that would end up? I would need to do some serious, some serious analyzing. You have the biggest, the baddest, the beast, who is just absurdly strong. And then you have Jungle Girl, who her records of not being pinned are incredible. So who knows what would happen when those two do collide in the ring together. It will be something to watch. Perhaps it'll go down this Friday night on the big season finale of WOW Superheroes, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Access TV. Miss Smart, we'd like to thank you very much for joining us here in the studio today. Tell our listeners how to find yourself as well as the WOW Superheroes on social media. Absolutely. Um, You can follow all of the WOW Superheroes on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the same handle, and it's WOW Superheroes. W-O-W-S-U-P-E-R-H-E-R-O-E-S. And you can follow me personally on Instagram, WOW underscore smart, or on Twitter, WOW underscore Sam smart. And of course, you can live tweet with myself and other superheroes using the hashtag um, wow superheroes on twitter thank you so much miss smart and best of luck going forward all right thank you very much
Hey, this is Stevie Richards. I'm here to tell you, you don't necessarily need all this equipment to get in the best shape of your life. All you need is this, a resistance band. I'm so excited to offer the 12-week resistance band training program to you, which features an interactive PDF with full overview videos, modifications, descriptions of all the exercises, scalability, no matter what fitness level or what age you are, the PDF scales the workout to you. Also, after your instant download of the PDF, you get full direct email support right from me, as well as access to a Facebook group with an awesome interactive community. I can't wait to help you take control of your fitness journey. So just put in stevierichardsfitness.com, go to the store, and download the 12-week resistance band training program. Hey guys, this is Mrs. Matt, the king of merch at learnboxmerch.com. You're listening to the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. So we're back for segment two. That was, of course, the prodigy with the song Breathe. That was kind of the song that introduced them to the world uh, back in the the good old MTV days when MTV actually played music on television. Seems like that was a very, very long, long time ago. Uh, Huckleberry, let's talk about some NXT. We've got some big news coming out of NXT, and it's certainly not good. Of course, it involves the man. Tommy Entertainment, the single greatest sports entertainer to ever live. It sounds as though this neck surgery is even more serious than we thought it was on the Monday locker room. As we speak here today, he is currently in surgery. Expected timetable for return is 10 to 14 months. Talk about terrible timing for Tommaso Ciampa. I was going to say, you know, before we jump into that, uh, over on Facebook and Hami Media Discussion Group, uh, William Alicia, man, all over this story as he is uh, in most cases getting you know getting the scoop way ahead of many of the leading dirt sheets. So uh, if you want to be in the know and stay ahead of the, the the pack, make sure you're joining us over on Facebook and the Hami Media Discussion Group. But yeah, as we if we were just talking Monday, you know, knowing Ciampa and what kind of competitor he is, you know, he was going to push himself through Takeover New York. Try to get that big payoff here for us to, to hand this thing over. Not the case. Last week we we're talking, and I laid out. You had a whole week to do your homework on this thing. And I was going to ask you, you know, what do you see happening? What is going to be the card at, at Takeover, and how is the promotion, the brand, going to transition post WrestleMania as we kind of get into that new season of WWE? You had a complete shakeup here, Jargo. They've got a shakeup on their hands. Like I guess. Or were they announced anything yet on this? Or? No, they ha- well, I mean, WWE has announced it via their Facebook feed, their Twitter feed. They've we know the title it. is being vacated. Yes, but nothing on NXT television as of yet. Um, I, I did a little bit of looking around earlier this morning. It seems as though the next series of tapings is scheduled for March 13th. Those will be the tapings that lead us through the end of this cycle leading into takeover New York. Well, that, I mean, we got a week away here. Yeah. Um, now for, for them to kind of regroup and get a new game plan moving forward. Uh, he, here's the thing that I, I kind of was as digging through all of this stuff goes um, right now. The dusty tag team classic is airing. We're going to talk all about round one here in just a second. Uh, all of that is in the can. As far as Champa is concerned, the good news is he should be out of the hospital in three to four days. 
That's all that it takes to, to actually get out of the hospital. The typical recovery time for a normal human being is like six to eight weeks. You can go back to your normal life. Of course, that is very, very different for a professional wrestler. You're looking at 10 to 14 months, assuming that Ciampa can come back. Now, this is the same injury that put Edge out. That, that Edge had to retire from. It's also the same injury that Stone Cold came back from. On average, 74.5% of professional athletes return to normal competition after this surgery. What it really comes down to is how bad the spinal stenosis is. Now, what spinal stenosis is, for those who don't know, is an actual narrowing of the vertebrae. So it's a matter of how much has that narrowed through the course of this injury. That's why Edge had to retire from it, because the spinal stenosis was awful. The same thing with Sting. Somebody like Austin comes back from it. I was watching Ciampa inside of the Tag Team Classic last night. I'm not sure how much his offensive skill set necessarily needs to change, given this injury, assuming that he can come back at 100% like Austin did. Or as close to 100% as you can be. Well, even if, if you're sitting there and you know you have to change your, your match style, your move set, you at least – maybe you save those big spots from when you need them. It, but a lot of what he does, it's more devastation on the other end. He's just so you know masterful in creating you know, that illusion of, of such you know, dramatic impact and all that. But you still got to think, just slow it down a little bit. Just take a step back. And just, you know, as you were talking about Monday in the locker room, he's no spring chicken. Right. Yeah, he, he's up there. And you, you hate to see right now when he's really hitting, uh, obviously, the best stride of his professional run here on the horizon of what the potential is going forward for him. You'd hate to see that be shortened in any case. Now, the other part of the equation, of course, is where does the championship go from here? Um, and asking your question about the, the NXT roster depth, it, this absolutely shakes everything up. Uh, because, number one, we don't know who is going to be called up. Uh, what, what I expect to happen is I expect the NXT championship match at TakeOver New York to be Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. That absolutely seems the most logical matchup to take place, especially because it seems as though we're going to get Velveteen Dream versus Matt Riddle for the North American championship. I think, you know, you line those up right there. Those are two great marquee championship belts. Yes, absolutely. Those are those are two matches that I would absolutely love to see. Um, and Adam Cole, I think he can slide into that position easily enough. I mean, he's Adam Cole, baby. I, I have no issue with Adam Cole sliding into that spot. Do you? Oh, not, not whatsoever. Now, I mean, to, to you know, throw out another, I don't know, a little swerve scenario here. Going back to where NXT now, they're really making that hard push to establish itself, to be recognized as its own brand. Could you see someone from coming back to NXT or an outsider trying to really just, I don't know, put a lot of you know steam behind that thing? Uh, ignite a great spark there, perhaps. Well, you know, and this is one of the things that as I was looking at this depth chart, NXT has so much talent down there right now. But let's say, okay, so Aleister Black is ma making the move to the red or blue. Ricochet is making the move to the red or blue. Ciampa is out. 
Does Johnny Gargano make the move to Raw or SmackDown, or do you put the championship on him and leave him inside of NXT to sell tickets? Because people will pay to see Johnny wrestling. After that, you get into Adam Cole, which obviously the Undisputed Era is ready to be called up to either Raw or SmackDown. So then the top of your card looks like Johnny Gargano as champion or Adam Cole. And then you have Dijakovic, you have Keith Lee, you have Punishment Martinez, you have Velveteen Dream, you have Matt Riddle. Those five, and then whichever one walks out as champion, that's my new NXT 6 for this next coming season of NXT. I almost, when I look at the NXT style, even even on its own brand, what it represents, it is that alternative to what we get from the red and the blue. I don't necessarily think we need it to be represented within your six with so many giants. I think the people what's so appealing to the consumer base that that desires NXT is that it is more of the darlings. It is the indie scene, what that represents. And it's more of the smaller, the smaller performer, the smaller athlete. Well, I think, you know, it just in any other case, you're, you're going to want guys like Keith Lee and, and punishment. And yeah, you're going to want those individuals up on the red and blue as soon as you can get them. And we've already seen it that, you know, when Gargano went out there, him and, Chapa, they did them no favors the way they shot that. They stayed on that zoomed out hard where it makes the audience look so far away. So anything you're looking in that ring, obviously, is going to look small. look kind of like ants there. I mean, they at times, they look similar to, to Bailey and Sasha, the way they were shooting that thing. Yeah, It absolutely did them zero favors. So you're watching at home. You're not familiar with it. There's only a small portion of the WWE Universe actually tuning into NXT that's familiar with what these guys can do, that knows that backstory and all that. So they're not buying, they're not invested there. They're just seeing these two smaller guys out here when you, you've got these giants like Braun. So you want the, the Keith Lees and those, you want them up sooner. I, I'm looking at the series, you know, right off the top of my head, I'm look, I'm looking at 10 to 14 months for Ciampa to come back. Yep. I mean, that obviously it itself, if you have the patience to run with Gargano as your champion for that long, you've got a, you've got a, a hot program coming back. You can either reunite them, bring them back together for a little bit, have them blow back up. I mean, this story keeps, it just keeps writing itself for you. I think, you know, I, I had the conversation. If we're sitting creative, we're down there in Orlando having this conversation and we're looking at things to kind of a resurgence if you will, with NXT North America, I would consider Pete Dunn. I know there's reports out there that he is completely against relocating here, but you want your job, you want your position. The NXT championship is the biggest on that level. You know, it's elevated. It's higher than the North American and the UK. We want you representing this entire brand. I'm not even sure which is necessarily the smarter bet here. Um, because I feel like Gargano is probably the the bigger star inside of NXT. So you want to position, you know, Gargano as the champion coming out of Ciampa. That absolutely makes sense. You can go with a babyface champion with the big bad guys chasing him. Or you go with Adam Cole, the dirty swarmy dick, which is basically a continuation of the Ciampa run. Uh, but I almost feel like Adam Cole is the smarter bet because you can keep all of Undisputed Era inside of NXT and you don't just have one drawing card, you have four. 
Well, I agree with you there, too, man, because he's already, we got the popularity. They can build that brand around him moving forward. And it brings back the question, too, how are those guys going to be represented when they eventually move to the red and blue? We're talking about, you know, size and all this. I all mean, those guys are like six foot at most. I was going to say at most. I mean, we line up. We line those guys up against, you know, in a standoff against the shield. Yeah. You know, in a little, you know, backroom segment. It's a good thing That's it's four on three. Yeah, because they're going to have to sit on each other's shoulders just to punch Roman Reigns in the face. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate, too. So, yeah, I, I run with Undisputed Era on top. You know, they, they were saying that this is going to be the year of the Undisputed Era. They're taking all the gold. Now I think that's what I actually do. I think that's actually the direction that I go. It's going to be a little while before we get there. Well, it ain't, that actually would make Cole a triple crown, correct? Yes, it would. Yep, because they th- he was uh, part of the team that won the tag team titles with right. uh, Kyle O'Reilly. Yep, and he's your, he was your first North American. Yep, he yeah, so I mean, he would be the first triple crown champion inside of NXT. So actually, sense. either one of those guys would be whoever walks out of Takeover New York would be the first Triple Crown champion if it was Gargano and Cole. Hey, that right there is a, a great tagline to throw on to throw on your match. Yeah, that absolutely changes things a little bit as well. We're making we're making history. NXT Takeover New York, yep. the first ever Triple Crown inside inside the gold standard within WWE. It's interesting. Let's talk about last night's episode as the Dusty Tag Team Classic got underway. And then we have a couple other notes here. Uh, Alistair Black and Ricochet defeat the European Union, Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eichner. Then you have the Forgotten Sons going over one-two punch. Uh, That match was a little weird. Oni Lorcan debuted on 205 Live this week, Rick. What do you make of that? This is news to me. Uh, You mean you didn't watch 205 Live? Absolutely crazy. I, I don't think I like them splitting up the one-two punch at all. I think that's really my issue here. As long as we're going to keep those guys together inside of NXT, he can do whatever he wants as a single, but I want to keep one-two punch uh, in the tag I think, I think you're okay there. I think they're just kind of test the waters because you look at that 205 roster, they really only have like 12 guys. Yeah. And you can only run so many out there. And then you, now you got the champ going on hiatus. <laughs> you know, he's sitting back. They're, they're running the, the, the Buddy Murphy Classic. That storyline cracks me up. Buddy Murphy's just like, yeah, I'm just going to take some time off. I've beaten everybody. I'm just going to take some time off here. (laughs) Absolutely hilarious. Street Profits go down to Mustache Mountain. That was a really good match. Uh, Rick, I I thought it was really cool the way that they laid this thing out because you had Aleister Black and Ricochet and the the European Union. It was a a high-flying, absolutely insane dot, 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 dive car crash match. Then you have the Forgotten Sons versus the One-Two Punch, which was the exact opposite of that. It was about as physical as you can possibly get. You have the Street Profits versus Mustache Mountain, which was as close to a scientific wrestling match as you're going to see inside of the tag division, inside of NXT. And then you headline the whole thing with Red Dragon, the Undisputed Era, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly taking on the reunited DIY, the pop of the night. Gargano comes out to his music. Ciampa comes out to his music and he says, hang on, just wait a second. And he turns around and the DIY music hits and Full Sail came freaking unglued. The pop was awesome. 
DIY goes over Red Dragon in what I would call probably a four and a half star freaking tag match. This thing was freaking awesome. NXT actually ran like an hour and 13 minutes because this match went all of about 20, 25 minutes. Have you had a chance to watch this match yet, Rick? Uh, I caught the clip. I got the condensed version on. Really, really good stuff out of both of these teams. And it was just the emotional roller coaster of DIY's reunion and then going up against one of the best freaking tag teams inside of not only NXT, but really the world. Red Dragon has won every freaking title on the face of the planet. Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, the the chemistry that those two guys have together as a team never ceases to amaze me. They were pulling out some stuff here that was just blowing my mind. Kyle O'Reilly doing the rebound thing that Dean Ambrose used to do where he'd rebound off of the ropes. He did it off the middle rope, and then he did it off the bottom rope. Did the full flip through the bottom rope, come back up, hit a clothesline. Absolutely awesome awesome stuff there was one sequence that got completely screwed up so i'm going to dock it down to four and a half but really really good match so your semifinals are set diy versus alistair black and ricochet and the forgotten sons take on mustache mountain rick do you have any predictions for the finals and look at this one this semifinal the first one definitely going to be a lot of fun and you know what? It is going to be an absolute travesty if if they don't promote this thing, this Final Four on the red and blue, especially this match because these guys have been introduced to to you know the masses of the universe here. Well, we probably won't get a word on it, but uh, and then on the other side, hey, I'm liking the Forgotten Sons. Yeah, I kind of like what they got going on there. I, I just don't really know where with, with everything going on right now. If they really have their spot, it seems like they're probably that next team. Once we see some of these moves, especially post WrestleMania, it'll be their time to, to, you know, to see if they got they got what it takes to take that ball and run with it. I, I think right now you probably got Mustache Mountain, just the popularity. People still loving him. Plus, you get the crossover appeal between your two NXT brands. That's just another selling point because we already know that you know. In New York, we're getting the other big UK match. So let's highlight another team here. I, I mean, I, I guess I got to go with Black and Ricochet because you know it looks, you know how thick they are involved in in the Raw tag team picture now. Yeah, I mean, at this point, they very easily could be the Raw tag team champions by the time this match hits. Well, think about this. I mean, we could be talking about they, if you want to talk about making a splash WrestleMania weekend. What if we ended up somehow where Black and Ricochet are are going for every tag team championship? That would be kind of cool. I wouldn't mind seeing that because I mean, they're involved in all the brands in yeah. tag team action. I, I I've never I've you know since they brought these two together and it was you know became obvious that they were going the tag route. Wasn't really a fan of it. I, I don't really think it's doing either of them really all that much good. I think that might be kind of cool. I only have one more caveat that I'm going to add to that. When they win the Raw Tag Team Championships, the NXT Tag Team Champions, and the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, can we please just unify the title, much like the women, and just have the WWE Tag Team Champions? That's that's what we need. That's really what we need. We really need that. because There's no reason right now 
both, you know, especially when you're looking at the red and the blue, those divisions are a complete mess. It's a, they're embarrassment. It's an embarrassment across the board. They're the modern day divas division. Uh, I thought it was very well done last night on NXT TV. As I'm watching this show, there were two appearances from the War Raiders, kind of keeping an eye on the Dusty Tag Team Classic and exactly what's going on here. And I'm reminded that whoever comes out of this damn thing, your, your reward is you get to face the War Raiders at TakeOver New York. Like, I feel bad for whoever wins this damn match. You know, either way, I like the idea of Rock and Ricochet if they could potentially challenge for for those three sets of titles in one in one weekend. I think that would be very cool. That but would be man, a nice callback to War Games too, because they were all on the same team. And then, but man, Mustache Mountain versus the Raiders—that oh could be God. a lot of fun. That could be a lot of fun. Yeah, all those matches could be a lot of fun. Look forward to any of them. Uh, Keith Lee and Donovan Dijakovic. You know, this irritates me. I can't get used to that. I can't get used to that. Evidently, neither can the people inside of NXT because we see this vignette and Dijakovic comes walking into the performance center while Keith Lee's in the ring doing drills. And he's like, you want a conclusion? I'll give you a conclusion. We can do this anytime, anywhere. Dijak's pissed, right? But they keep calling him Dijak. The people inside of the ring keep saying, Dijak, calm down. Dijak, Dijak, calm down. Can't we just call him Donovan Dijak for God's sake? Well, hold on. Isn't that his real name? Yes. <laughs> well, see, no, that's that's the running theme. I know we're going to get we're gonna get to the uh, red and the blue this week, but that's how you know the shit's real. You know, oh, it's real. It's going down. God's sake. That shit's just annoying. Uh, the Velveteen Dream comes out to celebrate. Jumps up on the NXT commentary table and cuts himself a promo. Says, you know, this isn't a celebration. This is just a reminder that I am your new NXT North American champion. And then we get bro, the original bro. Matt Riddle comes walking out on the stage and lays down the challenge. He says, hey, I like that title. I wouldn't mind getting a little bit better, closer look at it. And Patrick holds it out there for him, for him to take a look at it. And then Riddle says, okay, well, now that I got a better look at it, now I kind of wonder what it would look like around my waist. Then we get this great moment from the Velveteen Dream that he snaps his fingers and all the lights go out inside a full sail with the exception of one spotlight on him that... Just a reminder, this is his spotlight and everybody else is just existing in it. Rick, I'm looking forward to this match. I'm looking forward to this match a lot. Matt Riddle and the Velveteen Dream take over New York for the North American Championship. I'm, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the title changing hands here, but I kind of like Matt Riddle winning this championship. Well, you got to think, you know, a little bit going ahead. It seems so soon, but we've got this shake up here. Obviously, you know, Plans are changing, and I know there's so many times if Dream would drop this thing, immediately people are going to freak out. Oh, he's heading to Raw or SmackDown. He's going to be with that one of those big surprises Monday or Tuesday. No, uh, he's heading it. to the NXT championship picture. That's what I'm saying. You know, In my eyes, he is still not ready. This goes back to what I've been screaming. You know, we need that program almost like Summer of Punk where it is a, a mid-summer night's dream where he's in that picture. And, and you know, whoever it be, you know, him and Cole or him against Gargano, that is a hot summer program leading into SummerSlam for NXT. And I like Matt Riddle as a long-term North American champion. Put that title on Matt Riddle and let him run with it for a year. Well, I'd love to see something like that. I think that's someone that could really establish it. And it kind of, in my in my 
in my mind, I love, you know, how they have really defined it. I like how Dream, when he when he earned the opportunity to challenge for any belt that he wanted across those brands that he chose to North American, because right then it lets you know, okay, this thing is important. This is coveted. People want this thing. So it, it, it set that tier where the UK and the North American champions are on, you know, an equal level. Then you've got the NXT championship. I would love to see, you know, Riddle do a little cross promotion. Go over there and tease. Hey, my championship's better. He's got ties over there. That audience knows him. He knows that style and all that. I think he'd be a great representative in a spot like that. I think a year from now, Matt Riddle is the face of NXT. And we're talking about, as we were just saying, catering to that consumer. And they eat him up. I'm still very, very torn on Matt Riddle. I love him from the second the bell rings until the second the bell rings again and the match is over. But everything before the match and everything after the match, I just can't get behind it, man. Man, I, I almost maybe he's done this before. And I do want to talk about, you know, taking lessons here in a little bit on some WWE news. But just imagine like if, if they just brought in because, because the attitudes are so similar, tremendous in the ring, but just don't really, they just have that. I don't give a shit attitude outside of it. If you just brought in like Rob Van Dam to like work with him as a personal consultant, if you will, about how to handle yourself on the mic and all that stuff and give him some tips, you know, that, that would be tremendous in my eyes. Like a personal bro, bro. Uh, the women's division did get a little bit of attention on this show god they do so much on an hour of nxt tv it's absolutely insane to me how much they can cram into an hour that they can't do anything on raw or smackdown in five the women's number one contender match next week it's going to be eo Sheree taking on bianca belair for the right to challenge Shayna baszler this is kind of like that war raiders thing you know where it's like yeah i kind of feel bad for whoever wins the match eo Sheree takes on bianca belair who is going to challenge the Queen of Spades at Takeover New York. Yeah, I mean this. This is like okay, great. You you won the lottery, but that week's prize is you get hit in the face with a crowbar. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, Baszler's another one, man. That does she get called up after WrestleMania, or does she become one of those cornerstones of NXT? I want to see her stay in NXT at least through SummerSlam. I want her in NXT through SummerSlam because the program I want and I think would be on fire. We're talking about we're talking about programs for the gentlemen that would be lit. Give me Ripley and Baszler at SummerSlam. What we just kind of threw out there, man. We got Dream versus Cole or Gargano there, and you give me Ripley versus Baszler. That smokes, smokes anything that they're going to give us Sunday night at SummerSlam weekend. Matt Riddle versus Dijakovic. I could see that as your North American title program. Crazy the amount of talent that they have down there in NXT right now. Let's uh, go ahead and talk about Speed Bump. The Speed Bump on the road to WrestleMania, otherwise known as WWE Fastlane, coming to Wait, us. So you're going into Fastlane here, man, but we got, we got other big things. Well, maybe this is going to help Fastlane. Have you seen you know, who is the latest the latest creative mind joining WWE. Oh God. You man, you know what? If you would have told me in 2009 that Jeff Jarrett was going to join the WWE creative team in 2019, I would have laughed myself to death. 
Like zero chance. Never would have thought that would happen. Wait, you know, going back, you know, just over when they put him in the Hall of Fame, you know, it was kind of like, what, what the hell's going on here? What, what's happening? I mean, this is a guy that held Vince McMahon hostage for serious amounts of money, went and started a rival company, had picked off individuals that had sat there and blatantly lied to Vince to get out of contracts to go over and work there. Absolutely crazy stuff. Then we also had the big announcement of WrestleMania coming back to Tampa Bay next year at Raymond James Stadium. Our, our buddy Joe from uh, Turnbuckle Talk, very disappointed that WrestleMania is not going to be in Canada again. Um, he, he has this dream, man, that for some reason people want to go to Canada in April, which is just beyond me. Here's, here's the thing that they need to realize. I've seen a lot of people already out there. Oh, Florida again. It's Florida in April. Right. It, <laughs> we're looking at tourist destinations. Yeah, there's a reason everyone for years, Minnesota, Minnesota, no one wants to go to Minnesota in early April. I mean, no one really wants to go to Minnesota, period. They should do SummerSlam in Minnesota because that building is freaking impressive. It would be a damn shame if they don't expose the awesomeness of that building for a WWE I under- show. I understand that. That is great. But when you're you're looking for a weekend of fun and enjoyment, and especially with, you know, a Maybe like a smaller one. Maybe a, maybe you could slide a SummerSlam, I guess. But still, you know, that's a lot of people take their family summer vacations to those spots. Ain't a whole lot going on in Minnesota right there. So, you know, down oh, at no, Tampa, Minneapolis is jumping. Minneapolis is jumping. I've never had a bad time in Minneapolis. Just because you live in Davenport, Iowa. You don't Cedar know what a good Rapids. time is. Jesus. Don't it's even know the, where I live. What is this? Like the 115 the, episode rib? It's all the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's all fucking corn. Yeah, uh, so, hey, Tampa Bay is a hot town. It's a fun place. You know, people are going to have a blast going down there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I actually, I, I watched the whole press conference. The city, the officials, they seem very excited for this thing. Uh, I thought it was, you know, a, a great introduction for everyone down there. Damn, uh, again, Roman Reigns was on fire in this thing, man. He didn't have any paper in front of him. He wasn't reading anything. He was just being himself. And he was the last one out there. And he kind of put over. He said, yeah, everyone else has talked about how great this is financially for the city and is excited. And he said, I he said, I'm just excited to be here so that people can come share my favorite moments of WrestleMania. And it's the families, you know, people being together. He said, it's not all the main events and the wins I've had. So last year was about seeing my kids and how excited they were to be running around for WrestleMania. Yeah. On the flip side of that, they have to get they have to get Shar Shar involved in something with the studio. She has got to get herself outside of that ring and around actual acting coaches. It was almost it, it was it was rough to get through her little her little spiel. Was Becky there? Uh, Becky was not. Uh, and what was kind of funny, they had. Uh, Charlotte actually had had a spot on stage, and then they had Natalia, Sasha, and Bailey in the audience, and they acknowledged them. They introduced them. They just kind of stood up and waved. Huh. Uh, but but Charlotte was the spokesman. She was the one that came out, and she tried cracking a, uh, just some bad jokes. And you could tell they were like bad because she's actually looking at the paper, reading them. <laughs> she didn't look up very often. Uh, she kind of looked up to do her woo at the end, and it was I think she was like waiting for she paused for some kind of I don't know acknowledgement to it. It just wasn't happening there. It, it, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to, to knock her down anyway. It just if she wants to really evolve, they want to use her in that position 
as that true. She's the alpha, and that's what she is inside the ring. The reason she's going to be in that match at WrestleMania is to carry the damn thing. But if she's going to do this stuff, either let her open up. Maybe she just doesn't have it herself, but she's got to get some kind of coaching. She's too busy hanging out with those damn ingobernables. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about Fastlane. Um, Rick, this thing's kind of a speed bump. And uh, in looking at this card, this could be a rough show. Yeah, it, it was over in uh, Facebook before we got going here in the Hami Media Discussion Group. And I think it was Brian Form. He kind of put it out there, one of our, our friends over in the UK. And he was asking if this show is going to be worth it. And a lot of people really down on this thing, uh, especially because we just we had the chamber squeezed in here. We feel like they're just trying to do too much on what is supposed to be the road to WrestleMania. So I was going to reply there, but I wanted to ask you first, get it on the show first. How much would our opinion change of this thing if it didn't happen on a Sunday and it wasn't called Fastlane and they simply just called it Saturday Night Main Event? That's a valid point, but it, it depends on how much time and attention it's getting. Because, you know, we have this show and we're, we're supposed to believe that this is a big show and we're supposed to get excited about it. And we're getting six man tags and people getting title shots that aren't worthy of getting title shots. And then we have, you know, the, the, Kofi Kingston debacle and it, it just feels like this entire show is just this terrible speed bump on the road to WrestleMania when we should be getting invested in the WrestleMania programs at this point. I guess maybe to come to their defense, I, I guess I'm going to channel my, my professor Cortez here a little bit. Doesn't this, doesn't this show though, the way it's set up, doesn't this scream a lot of what we see from new Japan? How so? Well, you know, like you said, we're, we're getting just some kind of thrown together matches. Maybe they're not outright doing a whole lot of business. We'll probably get some underlining subtle things going on here. Or it's just we have to have a show on the road to the big show. Well, yeah, I guess so. But they don't expect you to treat those shows like they're, they're major events. I, I mean, we, should, we know I mean, the Wrestle should. Kingdom card, you know, in freaking September. Right. So, I mean, at that point. I guess maybe that's where they do drop the ball is if we would if we would know right now what we have at WrestleMania, we know we've got things set up and you're using this here as a hype where right now they're just kind of dangling out there, put possibilities for WrestleMania instead of instead of us being invested on the road to WrestleMania right now. It's more this is kind of that are we there yet kind of stuff. And WWE is treating it very much the same way, because if you look at all the promotion that's running for Monday Night Raw, it's not going to be what happened at WWE Fastlane. Was the Shield triumphant? Did the Boston Hug Connection retain their titles? No, it's all about Hunter and Batista, which has absolutely nothing to do with Fastlane. You, you go back to. You go back to this past week's Raw. It, it was three hours and three stories. Stephanie and her junk, Batista, Triple H, and The Shield. Yeah. Which, which to me, which they really dropped the ball, and I was getting a little heat because I felt, you know, just to have Roman come out and say, I want to get the band back together. Uh, and then by the end of the night, we, we've got that set here. You know, to me, it, it was just it, it right direction, but lowest common denominator booking. And it could have had a little more suspense. Now, now, let's let this play out here because now we're getting this rumor that we might get Roman versus Dean at WrestleMania. I mean, could this all just be a swerve? Is Dean going to stab these guys in the back Sunday at Fastlane to set up that match there? Would it really be stabbing them in the back? 
I mean, have we really gotten that big change of character from Dean Ambrose? I mean, almost, well, almost to me, staying or going. I'm still working on impression. He is staying, not going anywhere here. I don't think that is the match to have. I think this goes back to, you know, what we've been talking about for a couple of weeks since Roman's been back. The smart money match to keep Roman hot before people start to see through. It's just Roman Reigns being Roman Reigns again, the same old treatment. You know, when this leukemia wears thin and people really start to see it start turning on him again, the right match is to have him go out there and just waste Baron Corbin. You know, the, the one that the new channel changer, the X-Pac heat that no one can stand. I don't know if there's anyone out there trying to defend Baron Corbin. In, in any case, I don't even know if like professors out there trying to defend him at this point. And that's how that's how much how despised he is. People are going to love to see anyone whoop his ass. So why not have it be Roman Reigns? I think what I would do, I think I would do a tag match. I think I would do Roman and Dean together. So because we we still don't know how Roman's going to look inside the ring, what kind of shape he's actually well, in. I, like. Well, you know, like you had mentioned, though, we don't have to have a 10 minute match. He can just go out there. Superman punch the asshole spearing and set a record for the new quickest match. Break, you know, break the rocks record. The reason that I bring up the tag match is because we also have Drew McIntyre. If Drew McIntyre is not part of that program, because you could do Baron Corbin and Drew McIntyre versus Ambrose and Roman. Otherwise, I don't know what in the hell you do with Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania this year. And I guess this goes back to what you're saying. Why should we care here? We've got these these great talents and, you know, even a Bobby Lashley. There's so many people we don't know what they're going to do that we see each and every week that are featured. We don't know what's going on with McIntyre, with uh, with Elias, with Bobby Lashley. We don't even know what's going on with Barrett Corbin. We, we don't have any idea what's happening with these guys. And that – so essentially from Rumble to here is like this void where we don't really – there is no reason to care. And then it's going to be a real quick hot build to WrestleMania where, where you can't get emotionally invested in the program because the whole thing is going to happen over the course of about three weeks. So the real format should be, like I was saying, you know, dump. I understand because, you know, with your revenue and, and the big events, you get that higher ticket. Keep, keep the chamber if you want or keep one of these marquee pay-per-view, if you will. I know that term's kind of fading. But this show right here where you're looking a month out, we should know all of our matches and have a special like Saturday night's main event, which would be tremendous if you could get Fox to pick that back up for you or USA or hell, even if you kind of do it on your own network, people are still going to watch it. it. It gives you that feeling. You know, it takes you back to something special, that, that grand feeling of Saturday night's main event where you're just doing business. You're this, and that's where you really start heating everything up. Yeah, because, I mean, coming out of the Rumble, they do basically a three-week build to the Elimination Chamber, and then coming out of the Elimination Chamber, it's a three-week build to Fastlane, and then coming out of Fastlane, you have a three-week build to WrestleMania. Why don't we just split the difference and do one show five weeks after the Royal Rumble, and then you have a good five to six weeks to build to WrestleMania? Well, I think they're going to have these shows because they like getting that bigger ticket and they got these things. But it's but it just goes back to how you're formatting your build. I mean, we should know the WrestleMania card right now. And like you said, you know, maybe they do go more to that traditional uh, New Japan style where you take three matches and we have a six man tag. Yeah. Or you take the tag champs and put them together with the Intercontinental Champ if you can. You know, if they happen to align that way and have them take on their challengers in a six man. 
to build this up. But then again, though, it, what makes it so difficult is we got five hours of programming every week they have to do that in. And how many times do we see that just throughout regular programming? Well, this brings me back to something that Mr. Eric Bischoff told us when we interviewed him forever ago. One and a half things. On a three-hour Nitro, the audience would retain one and a half things. So the way that they would format the show, you're going to get one and a half things. And we're going to hit those one and a half things several times throughout the show. We're going to weave that storyline throughout the show so that you care about those one and a half things. The problem is the format of WWE Raw and SmackDown being like Saturday Night Live, where they just run it segment, 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 segment. And there's no overlap between any of these characters inside of the universe. Well, and I guess, you know, Monday night they're hyping, you know, they got Triple H and Batista and all that. But yeah, get ready for, you know, as we always say, you know, it's six months of booking in six minutes because right now there's only three matches announced for WrestleMania 35. And of these three, I just, Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. Okay, that, we're, we seem pretty confident we're going to go there, but there's still questioning. Could someone get at it? But there? they haven't uh, built uh, to it for weeks now. They, they hardly mention it. Right. And it was just in passing last week where Roman, you thought we got that tease where he might bring up, hey, man, I want my belt back. Then it just quick, you know, quickly blow by that. Uh, Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair. That's obviously going to change. Uh, then the other announcement that we have is Buddy Murphy versus the Cruiserweight Tournament winner. Yeah. So we, we essentially have one match announced uh, a little a month away from the biggest show in all professional wrestling, if you will. Yep. Whereas with Wrestle Kingdom in New Japan, you know that it's going to be the winner of the G1 Climax versus the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion on January 4th in August. Well, I really feel like, and there are some teasers there where there could be a change, but we know what's happening. They're building towards that. I really feel even if, you know, just not New Japan, any other major promotion in the world, we know things ahead of time. Uh, at anniversary for Ring of Honor, we're going to know the MSG main event Yep, for Ring of Honor. Hell, they've uh, already announced that it's going to be the ROH tag champs versus the New Japan tag champs. We're all, they've been building that program already. Where if this was WWE, they would wait till like two days beforehand and drop a tweet. That's how much the tag team division is worth in the WWE. Uh, let's run through these matches quick because I got to go get my kid here in just a little bit. Um, Rey Mysterio Jr. takes on Andrade Cien Almas. This, of course, the match with the most build going into this show. So obviously it lands on the pre-show. Uh, yeah, it, it's well, this hell, should, man. This should be Get a WrestleMania match. It, it, it probably will be. But they've already driven this thing into the ground. I almost have checked out on this damn thing. I mean, this just should have been – you could have gone at this a number of ways here. And they've just – they've tippy-toed around things. They didn't want to commit to a direction. I mean, this should be one of those big matches for WrestleMania where we are looking at, you know, like a hair versus mask. Yeah. Should something be awesome. Something great, a traditional, a traditional match between their heritage – uh, between, you know, one of the all-time greats and, you know, I know almost has been around forever in it, but, you know, thinking as like that could leave that next legacy as a Rey Mysterio. But this should be something that we should be looking forward to where these two uh, have barely touched each other and we see it every week now. Going off of that logic, I'm going to go with Rey Mysterio going over so that uh, 
or no, no, actually, Cien goes over here because Rey Mysterio will have to go over at WrestleMania because there's a zero chance in hell Rey Mysterio is losing that mask. Cien's going bald. That's what's going to happen. I actually, I'm, I'm going to go with the swerve there. Uh, I, I could see Mysterio winning this one and then just in a rage, Andrade with the attack and trying to really now go after that mask. Maybe he does get the mask off, but Ray is able to cover himself up or get under the ring. Uh, so but then you get all this. Then you have hey Mondays, Mondays, under Mondays, the under ring, the ring, under the ring with uh, with Jargo, RBV, Ornswago, and new and new co-host Ray Mysterio. <laughs> Fantastic. The WWE Raw Tag Team Championships are going to be on the line. It's going to be the Worthless Champions, the Revival. They haven't won a match since they actually won the titles. Uh, taking on the former champions, Gable and Rude versus Aleister Black and Ricochet. Rick, I almost feel like we might as well just put the talent or put the titles on these NXT guys because the Revival are so damaged. Gable and Rude are going absolutely nowhere. I guess just give the championship rub to NXT. And I actually, I, I just, I almost think that they've killed these guys by putting them in this tag right now. Oh. It, we're not seeing anything. In, what makes these guys pretty cool is, is that they're individuals and we're not able, able to see them shine at all. You only can go so far. And just, it just kind of goes back to, you know, the, the great debate we have with Billy Ray Valentine is over just pure ability or, persona and charisma and we're not getting to see any of that you know the back end the, the persona or the charisma from black or ricochet and people aren't really buying into it if you need anything on a pre-show this screams pre-show right here now, i'm actually completely checked out on this thing like you said revival dead on revival is what we've got now team nambla who knows what the hell's up with them right now? They're like they're switching into this tweener thing so that they can probably play any role if they decide to stick with the revival or go with the NXT guys. This is an, another division. I mean, who gives a shit? I'm honestly, it's pretty much all I got. Yeah. Speaking of who gives a shit, the SmackDown Women's Championship is going to be on the line. Nobody gives a shit, including most of the women on SmackDown. They all want the Raw Women's Championship. Asuka is going to be taking on Mandy Rose. Asuka is still your defending champion, in case you had forgotten. Um, this week on SmackDown, Rick, they did something really, really weird when they had Asuka attack Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville from behind. Like the baby face attacking the two heels from behind it doesn't make any sense to me and there's no logical reason for it because when mandy rose pinned oscar she did it clean yeah it was off the distraction from your girl lacey evans so traditional. but it was still a clean loss like what's oscar so mad about you fucked up and you lost the match well here's what i think you know i think this, this is two points here uh, they continue to show that they have absolutely no clue what to do with Oscar. They do not understand her in any way. They, they just kind of know that they've got something talented and, and hot that people will get behind. Uh, but they don't know what anything to do with her creatively, what direction to take with her here. And I, and I honestly think on the other side, I actually think that somewhere in their twisted mindset, they believe they're going to get people to rally behind Mandy Rose, that she is going to kind of become, you know, obviously the comparisons to Trish, but she's going to become that new Sable figure where she is the over-the-top sex figure that everyone is rooting for, they cheer for, or a Tory Wilson, if you will. I, I, I honestly think that they 
in their minds, they believe they can accomplish that goal. And I don't think there's anything further from, from the obvious truth. And uh, moving ahead with her here, I think there is potential. I, I know there's great marketing value in her down the road. This is nowhere near the time. She's almost, I would have to think, like a year away from being ready for that spot. I'm okay with her in this match at Fastlane. But it's WrestleMania season, and I've seen people arguing, you know, especially as you mentioned, you got you got Becky and Sharshar. They don't even care about this this championship, this division. They're more worried about what's going on in Raw, and it, it, rightfully so. That has to deal with Ronda Rousey, you know, the baddest bitch on the planet. Uh, you know, one of the biggest signings in the company history, one of the biggest matches. It's going to you know warrant a, a potential closing the show match. That's where you focus. But the rest of this division on SmackDown is so in the dumps, so piss poor. WrestleMania season should be putting should be about putting the best talents out there. I don't know why that this spot for WrestleMania, and I I hope Tuesday, this Tuesday, that we we get the music from the goddess herself. And Bliss says, you know what? Everyone's heading to Raw. I'm heading back to where I started. I made this title. There is no one worthy of challenging you, Asuka. I'm here put my name in the hat and oh by the way i got the paperwork to prove it vince mcmahon signed off on this if you will i think they're building to your girl lacey evans taking on oscar at wrestlemania it would be real nice if they actually put lacey evans in a match before that match happens have her you know maybe earn her way there uh, again i think you're going that way and even with lacey i think that there's potential with her going forward too she got that i think she got a great a great persona great you know character if you will i Again, I, I know where your hiccups are with her. She's or hangups you have with her. She's gonna have to improve. She, she to me is at least a year out from an opportunity like this. And the worst part is you got somebody who is ready, who the fans love, who could sell this program in Alexa Bliss. Boston Hug Connection take on LOP for the Women's Tag Team Championships. There's I no- pop. I pop every time I, I, I read it on the run. Uh, the, the, there's no way Sasha and Bailey lose these titles, right? absolutely not yeah and you're talking about we can argue all day of even creating these titles was the right move because right now it's almost dead in the water they haven't done really anything with them here but you know going back to seeing really what it meant to like that nxt crowd to see those guys show up with those titles you can have that so if the titles already exist sasha and bailey they are the right champions and you need you need to stand behind them in whatever direction, whatever you want to do with this thing, and it's establish that. Sadly, though, I mean, you've got this speed bump, if you will, in LOP. But looking around, unless you're going to NXT or NXT UK, there really are no worthy challengers. Yep. So, so hopefully, hopefully they are going to call in some legends to challenge these two at WrestleMania. Because looking across the red and the blue. There is nothing worthy uh, of what you would call a championship match or at least, you know, the first major defense for this division. Usos defend the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championships against the best tag team in the world, The Miz and Shane O'Mac, with uh, Mr. Miz sitting ringside. Who's turning heel? That's really the question coming out of this match. Is it going to be The Miz or is it going to be Shane O'Mac? Hey, you know what? This might be the most intriguing development coming out of this show. I mean, if you're going to tune in for one thing, this might be it. And I guess we're getting what the reports back that there's a divide backstage. Uh, Obviously, I guess not really an overwhelming divide, but the main divide 
where it's Vince McMahon that doesn't believe that the that the call should be to go with Shane as the heel. I don't know. I, I have to. I have to disagree with the old man on this one. It's just funny to me. You know, we've been looking for leather jacket Hunter. I think Shane O'Mac stole Hunter's leather jacket. You notice Shane's been coming out in a black leather jacket a lot lately. Ooh, mm-hmm. might be. Well, what if it goes with the uh, the shades too, like the Terminator shades? Ooh. Then we know. Then we know. Then we know. SmackDown's getting real. Oh. We know it's getting real. Wait until he starts calling the Miz Mike. Uh, it's going to be the Shield taking on the Evil Shield. The Shield reunion is official. They're going to be taking on the Evil Shield. Rick, we talked about this earlier. I, I still think the best option is the tag match. I'm going to go with the Shield over Strong here. Hey, you, th- you know, I, I guess you know it's going to be interesting. Well, Ambrose is he going to turn? But again, to me, does that do anything? It, it doesn't. We're, we're seeing these reunions and turns. So, so they they just want to come full circle, and make sure that. That all of them have kind of screwed the other one at some point. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's really what the story is going to be here. I can't wait for Roman to turn on Seth. It's going to be awful. WWE Midcard Championship of the World, Angry Vegan, Kurt Cobain. I mean, the new Daniel Bryan takes on the everyman, the very, very humble family guy, Kevin Owens, even though he still has no friends. But he even admits that's his fault. Not not necessarily, Kevin. Braun Strowman should have been your friend. Uh, what do you think? Any chance Kevin Owens takes this title here? I think absolutely none. It, it almost seems that Kevin Owens, they, they, they didn't really know what to do in this situation. and They knew they had the body there. I'm almost worried that them putting him, him in here as a placeholder for whatever they want, direction they want to go is going to kill whatever actual momentum he had, you know, going forward. SmackDown sucked. And the reason SmackDown sucked is because that crowd never recovered from the opening segment with Daniel Bryan. As soon as Daniel Bryan told that crowd that the New Day weren't there, that they were in India, that crowd never recovered from that. Yeah, don't give that away. Let people waiting. Where's New Day waiting? Trying, you know, on the edge of the seat, ready to explode. I think what I really like here, you know, I don't know what direction they're going with Kevin Owens, but the fat jokes. Yeah, yeah, plenty of fat jokes. I, I did like uh, Daniel Bryan's uh, when Kevin Owens says, I, "I was sitting at home on my couch. Where you belong." And then when he brought up, you know, and you threw the WWE championship in the trash can where it belongs. I thought that was great. Just nice little touches from Daniel Bryan like that. It's just absolutely making the character. Uh, Eric Rowan, please don't ever grab the microphone and tell everybody to shut up again, because that was so unbelievable and just awful. Shut up. I said, shut up. Shut the fuck up. It was almost, hold on. It wasn't the worst thing this week. I mean, that goes to Triple H's promo. Oh, Yeah. There's not even time to talk about Triple H's promo. Um, So, yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, Angry Vegan Kurt Cobain retains the championship, even if Kevin Owens wins this match. Thanks for the disqualification from Roman or something. The hot hot rumor out there. Uh, I mean, do you see Sammy? Is he going to join the uh, the vegan club? Oh, God. And then we have what I assume will be your main event. You have all these championship matches on this show, but this is obviously your main event. Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch. Um, I think everybody's expecting Becky to win this match here, but Huckleberry, I think they pull a swerve. I'm going to go with Charlotte Flair wins this match, and Becky has to find her way to WrestleMania between now and WrestleMania. I don't think we're going to get this thing solidified on Sunday night. Here's my problem. This this just hurts. This hurts your head. 
you know how they how they have handled this thing from the absolute get go. You know, going hot, pulling back. She's she's not arrested. She's gonna be arrested. She can't get cleared. She's clear. I mean, just they can't pick a direction here, and it's really a disservice to what was a super hot program. Hands down, would have been a killer true main event for WrestleMania, uh, and they just they just muddied the waters here to the point where you, you almost don't care. This match, especially itself, immediately as they're sitting there making this announcement, I'm asking myself, what the hell are they doing? This makes zero sense what they are laying out here. I mean, just in the segment, Becky, all right, she's signing away any responsibility on WWE's behalf for what might happen to her because of, you know, concern over injury, Ronda being fired up, whatever the case might be. For someone that doesn't trust Trip the McMahons, Triple H, and WWE, she sure as hell is real quick to sign a multi-page contract. Yep. Then Becky's ready to go. She's fired up. She's, all right, Charlotte, let's go right now. Stephanie's real quick to remind her, hold on, I got to have the legal team finalize this and get it notarized. This doesn't go into effect till Fastlane. So then Ronda Rousey come out and whoops her ass and Cole's like, she can't do anything. She said, no, you just told us the other, you just told us. It wasn't in effect until Fastlane. Becky could still hold them responsible for this here. And, and now, you know, and I, and I liked what they brought up Wednesday in the locker room and Hami Media Group. If you're Charlotte, wouldn't you kind of want Becky there? Wouldn't you like the odds if you could pin Becky or you and Becky, uh, you guys have had a friendship? Put that aside to take Ronda down. I, I know as sure as hell if you and I are going into a fight against, since he brought it up, Strangler Steve, I, I like our odds together than one of us alone against the big man. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agreed. And then on this, all right, so why is the match, why ring the bell? Ronda is so hell-bent on having Becky in this match. Why doesn't she just charge the ring and attack Becky and get Charlotte disqualified? Becky wins. Now she's going. Ronda gets what she wants. She's got the triple threat she wanted. That's actually what I kind of think the finish might be. I, I, I could absolutely see this thing ending in a no contest thanks to Ronda Rousey coming out and beating the shit out of both of them. I, I think that's what we're getting. Then Rhonda gets her way. And why is Stephanie just handing everything over? I, I think we're ended up here. I sent out the tweet during the show. Stephanie and Rhonda, they're in bed right now. Yep. yep. Huckleberry, anything else that you wanted to talk about this week before I run and uh, try to pick up my kid from school in nine minutes? I, you, you've got to get on the run here. So here. You can do the magic of betting. You can find me across all social media at The Real RPV. I'd like to encourage everyone to head on over to Facebook to the Hobby Media Discussion Group and be a part of the Fastlane Pick'em Challenge. Fantastic. That's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you Monday in the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com, and try to break all of this stuff down from Sunday and see if we can get some kind of an idea of what's going on on the road to WrestleMania. Hit the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. Find me at NotJargo for now. We're off like a prom dress. See ya! Crunch your fingers. Label me. I don't give a f- I'll be your bad guy.
say you'll be trapping the blame on me. I smell self-righteousness. That's the bad guy. Go! Yeah. <laughs>